What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Three AAPI-led organizations here in the Bay Area have launched a new campaign tackling hate against the AAPI community. We are joined this morning by Tony D., Executive Director of Youth Together. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. We're also joined by Mike Chang, Deputy Director of Asian Prisoner Support Committee. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Kat. And joined by Nicole Lee, Executive Director of Urban Peace Movement. What's happening, Nicole? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm so glad to have all three of you on the air with me this morning. Um, Before we get into it, I want to play the video that you all created uh, that launched the campaign last week. Kirsten, let's roll that tape, please. What is Asian hate? Hate crime involves violence that's motivated by race, religion, or sexual orientation. Asian hate has a long history that's rooted in white supremacy here in the U.S. Racist policies such as the Foreigners Minors Tax of 1850, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, the incarceration of 125,000 Japanese Americans during World War II, or detaining 175,000 Asian immigrants for months to years at Angel Island, when European immigrants typically passed through Ellis Island in several hours. Asians were prohibited by law to testify in court, to own property, to vote, to reunite with family, to marry non-Asians or the working government. This led to racist images and violence directed against Asian Americans. According to the U.S. Department of Justice hate crime statistics in 2021, 64% of hate crimes were motivated by race or ethnicity. The majority of those hate crimes were committed by white people. This is Asian hate. Tony D, I didn't know you was a voiceover actor too. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome well, you know, I got volunteered to, to 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 do it and to represent, and you know, I try to give it my all. But yeah, that was definitely me. It is a, a real powerful short uh, video that um, I imagine can, can be found on all of y'all's Instagram um, accounts. Nicole, Lee, I want to start with you. Why did you all decide to launch this campaign, and why did you feel it's important to define Asian hate and root it in America's special brand of white supremacy? Yeah, I mean, you know, I just think part of our job is to tell the truth. And I think we have to help educate everyone in our community. I think, you know, part of being in America is that um, we're not taught the history of people of color uh, for a reason. And I think it, you know, when we don't know our history, it supports, um, you know, it it, it propagates white supremacy. Um, and so we think it's just really important to get back to the basics and teach people history. So that was the number one, you know, that I think that the number one reason we did it. But I also think for me personally, as an Asian American person, a Chinese American person who grew up in Oakland and, um, you know, was born and raised in Oakland, um, I just am tired of seeing Asian faces um, sort of put at the forefront, um, you know, of these uh, you know, just of, of efforts to propagate policies um, that are really racist and policies that criminalize black and brown communities. And I think sometimes white folks um, who are often behind these policies are quick to put Asian faces in the front um, and then to say, well, Asian people, you know, Asian people want this, so it must not be racist. And I'm tired of our community being used in that way. So for me personally, um, you know, it's personal, and I feel like that's that's why, uh, you know, I think the three of us agree that that's why we thought it was important to get out there um, and to push back on these narratives. 
Mike Chang, I'm going to throw the same question to you. And Tony, I'm coming to you next. Nicole summed it up perfectly. And the only thing that I would add to that is I also think part of our job is to talk even within our own community to challenge those who might feel the same way as us. Like, you know, I suspect Kat, a lot of listeners uh, right now probably have similar feelings and views to us, right? And being able to have a space to to actually challenge these narratives in the broader community, especially in policy and area that, you know, we see all these forces pushing for mass incarceration and more police. But, you know, people who feel like us, we're looking for them to also join us and actually have these conversations, engage our own community, as well as building both areas with others. Tony D, you're the executive director of Youth Together um, and, and work, you know, uh, across high schools in the area and have a lot of, black, you know, work with a lot of black and brown students. I, I'd like you to say more about the fact that this campaign, in addition to defining Asian hate, in addition to play, uh, placing the blame squarely where it belongs, right, in uh, American white supremacy, um, f- for you as a youth worker, the importance of uplifting the fact that the Asian community has been exploited by, by white folks um, to criminalize other communities of color and why, why it matters to address that in terms of the type of world that we're all trying to build together. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, ethnic studies is American history, but our K-12 through public schools don't teach us about our people and other people because our system intentionally excludes the tragedy that have built this country. And if they didn't hate Asian people or black people or brown people or indigenous people, then there wouldn't be opposition statewide or therefore nationwide to implement ethnic studies. You know, and so like in Florida, how they got rid of like, you know, black studies. And this is all to really educate and put a mainstream focus on what young people should learn or what it is that they want them to learn. So we feel like when we put this video together, it's our radical way of being able to say, hey, this is what real Asian hate is. And this is something that you should be taught in the classroom, but you're not taught in the classroom. And so now we have all this division in everything that's happening in our society. Nicole Lee, what has the response to the campaign been? Uh, I mean, I think we've gotten good response so far. Um, You know, I think that we just launched it. So we're hoping, you know, and I think today, this morning, we're hoping that it helps spread the word. Um, You know, I just think we felt like, um, yeah, we just felt like frustrated with, um, I think, angry by, you know, watching this happen to our community, Uh, but also frustrated in that we didn't feel like we... Yeah, we just wanted to see more voices of people from our community getting out there um, and saying something about it, saying that enough is enough and that, you know, we won't stand for our faces and the pain of our community being used in this way um, to uphold white supremacy and to pit our communities against other people of color. Um, And so, you know, I think part of what we're hoping is that we're – we'll be able to educate people. I think we're also hoping to inspire other AAPI leaders to get out there um, and to use their voices as well um, and to start pushing back. So I think that's what our hope is. Mike Chang, you brought up one of the ways in which um, some of this has played out is the utilization of Asian voices to push for more cops. I mean, I do remember, you know, uh, 
Chinatown Chamber of Commerce President Carl Chan talk when he was calling for more cops and he said in all communities, right? He wasn't just talking about Chinatown, all communities. As if police violence doesn't impact Asian communities, AAPI communities as well. Can you talk a bit about that? Absolutely. So, I mean, one, uh, you know, one of the more insidious ways that Asian faces are being used, right, is um, it's basically squarely, like Nicole said, using our community's pain and suffering to justify these forces. But, you know, my, my organization is dedicated to reversing some of those impacts, right? Um, you know, every time, you know, an Asian elder is attacked and is caught on video, every time somebody's robbed, you know, the news is quick to blast that. But they don't show the fact that, you know, members of my staff, you know, have locked multiple family members to police violence. It doesn't address the fact that there is a whole refugee to school, to prison, to deportation, full circle back uh, pipeline that, that does impact the API community. And, you know, Asian prisoner support community, one of our main goals is to, you know, support, support, you know, our community that is impacted and also let it be known that this also impacts us. And I mean, it's a nuanced conversation, you know, depending on who you talk to in our community, they're going to feel different ways about it. But that, at the end of the day, we can't escape reality and we can't escape the fact that the numbers of people in our own community keep rising within the prison system. Um, and, you know, again, it's intentionally masked, like, you know, racialized data for APIs in prisons is not counted. We're lumped in as other. Um, but it, it certainly has an impact. And, you know, the ones who are using the narratives that they are to push for more police and acting like it's a solution, you don't ignore that. Nicole, I, uh, I, I don't want to particularly, you know, as a black person, skip over the fact that there really has been a rise in violence against, a, you know, our AAPI relatives. Talk to us about how the division that's been sowed between AAPI black and brown communities actually is not helpful in addressing the real harm that's happening and what actual solidarity um, and safe communities can look like. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard for, I think it's hard for us to discern, um, particularly when you look at um, mainstream media coverage of, you know, of what they define as AAPI hate or Asian hate. Um, you know, I think like Mike said, one of the things that has been really, I think, misleading is that when, you know, obviously there has been, there was a slight bump in like petty crime going up. Um, you know, in the recent years and you know, during the pandemic. And so it seems like, you know, and if you look at the news, anytime a, an Asian person or an Asian elder um, is robbed or, you know, mugged on the street, which, you know, happens in large cities all over this country, um, then you'll see some of the reporters, even on Twitter, tag stop Asian hate. Um, and I think that that is really misleading and confusing um, and so it makes it hard for us to understand. Clearly, there has been a rise in anti-Asian sentiment. And, you know, we saw that fueled in particular, you know, during the Trump administration. Um, and we saw it, you know, with the whole thing around the, the pandemic and the fact that the virus came from China. And so there was, you know, the whole Kung flu and all of those things. Clearly, there has been a rise in that sentiment. But it's been really hard to tell in terms of, like, individual instances um, when are those actually motivated by race and when are they, you know, sort of, in, you know, unfortunate and tragic and in some cases, um, you know, horrific 
instances where someone's mugged or someone's, you know, pushed down, um, someone is going through a mental health crisis and they assault someone. These are not things that, you know, obviously we want to happen in our communities, but it's not, it's misleading to label all those things Asian hate. And so I think that's really the problem we're trying to get at. Um, we de- definitely want to see violence and, um, you know, these kinds of incidences stop across all of our communities because the truth is elders of color in general and elders in general are vulnerable, right? That, I mean, being an elder is you're part of a vulnerable population. And so we don't want the incidences that get reported in the media to over, you know, to kind of like overshadow um, instances where, you know, elders of other races are getting assaulted as well. You know what I mean? And so, and are also deserving of protection. And so I think that that's really what we're trying to, you know, tease out here. We want people to think more critically um, and to not jump to a conclusion because that conclusion that they jump to puts the blame, um, you know, the blame for Asian hate uh, on black and brown communities. And that is a display, you know, it's, it's really a displacement of blame. Um, it's a kind of scapegoating. And so that's what we're trying to, we're trying to stop that. I'm going to get into a little bit stickier territory uh, here. One of the places we're seeing some of this division play out is amongst the landlord and tenant fight uh, in Oakland, which will continue to play out at the Oakland City Council meeting this evening. We're going to have Council Member Nikki Bass on next. Um, And the other thing that will play out tonight is the continued campaign against Council Member Carol Fife. Tony D and Mike Chang, you all have longstanding political and personal relationships with Council Member Fife. What is your response to the attacks against her that say she she is anti-Asian. Tony, I'll start with you. I, I think one is totally inaccurate because we're not, you know, we're not listening, you know. And I think for Carol, Carol Five to be labeled in that way is really disturbing and really disgusting. And I think when you look at the clip, you know, it's it's really a little reaction to you can't compare what you're going through to what our people have gone through. And so you, 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 you can't step out of that. And I totally respect where it is that Carol came from, because I feel like if someone came incorrect with, you know, what they were comparing themselves and their experiences to, then it's within my duty to really come and correct it and educate it. So I think them, you know, taking the, the little, bits and pieces in trying to, uh, you know, villainize who it is that she is as a person that's there for the people and all people, right, um, is really disturbing because I've known Carol for a very long time and there's nothing but love, nothing but love for the people. So I'll hand it over to Mike. Thanks, Tony. That was really well said. you know, I just want to reiterate in no way, shape, or form in the 20-plus years that I've known Carol has she ever exhibited any hint of racism towards the AAPI community or really any community. Um, an- another thing that Tony touched on that I just really want to highlight is how out of, out of pocket those landlords were trying to make a comparison between African slavery and the eviction moratorium. You know, I recognize Maybe. that they feel like they're frustrated and that they're in you know a situation that they're not happy about. But they would never dare make a comparison to the Holocaust. They wouldn't. They they didn't compare it to Japanese internment. They went straight to African slavery, and they felt like that was okay to do. 
And I think Carol was perfectly within her right to push back on that. Um, it's completely out of pocket. Uh, she has never shown any signs of racism. And again, um, I also want to point out, you know, I try to stay off Twitter as much as possible. I actually was off all social media for a while. You know, this thing brought me back. But when I was looking at the comments and reactions, a lot of the people trying to claim that she's racist against Asians, a lot of them, the accounts at least, you know, I don't know if they're boss or not, but they weren't even Asian. You know, um, it was other people, again, trying to speak for us and define our experience. And I certainly uh, encourage anybody who, who believes in fair housing, who, who doesn't want, you know, um, to see our homeless crisis worsen, to, to actually work together and support people who are trying to make thoughtful policy that can, that can reduce the harm that's already out there. I want to end on a positive note. I mean, I've worked successfully and in solidarity with all three of you for a long time. I mean, Mike, you were one of the first, you know, uh, uh, organizers I worked with when I moved to to Oakland in 2008. And during, you know, was it 2014, 2015, one of the most beautiful things about the movement that was active in Oakland Street against state terror, right, was Asians for Black Lives and the way folks showed up in solidarity. Nicole, talk about some of the amazing things that have happened when our communities have joined forces to push for a more, ju- for a more just and equitable world for all folks. Absolutely. I mean, I just think my own personal life, you know, I mean, Tony and I were both grew up here in Oakland since we were, you know, children. And, um, you know, we grew up in an Oakland that was predominantly black and an Oakland that was very multiracial. So I didn't grow up um, you know, the Asian community is a diaspora. Our, our families came here at very different times. My family's been in Oakland since the 1800s. So, you know, at some point, my family lived in an all-Asian community, but that's not how I grew up at all. I grew up mostly around not other Asian people. And I actually learned, uh, you know, like I got to a place in my life where I was proud to be a person of color because, you know, when you grow up in America, no matter what race you are, if you're a person of color, it's a struggle and you at some point don't like yourself because of it and you have to fight to learn to love yourself and I learned to love myself in the context of being you know in the privilege of being able to grow up in a predominantly black community where you know I watched the African-American community battle through discrimination and white supremacy and learn to assert, you know, self-love. And that's what taught me to have self-love for myself. Um, So I feel very, you know, I think Asian people in this country have a lot. Um, We're very indebted um, to the African-American community here in in the United States. Um, You know, a lot of our, the freedoms that we have as Asian Americans were afforded to us through the civil rights movement. And so I just think that we have to remember that and we have to pay that forward um, and it's that kind of solidarity that I think, you know, is going to carry um, us through. And so I think we just have to remember that. All right, y'all. I am out of time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We will link to the video and to your uh, organizational socials in the archive of the show. We've been speaking to Tony D, Executive Director of Youth Together, Mike Chang, Deputy Director of Asian Prisoner Support Committee, and Nicole Lee, Executive Director of Urban Peace Movement. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. 
That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.